Broadcasting. This is Mad Talks. Coming at you now. Welcome, welcome to the United States Army Advocacy Center podcast, which I think has been informally deemed Mad Talks. Well, we'll see how that goes. It's a wonderful day. I'm broadcasting here from Fort Belvoir Studios. I am your host, Major Matthew Force, Deputy Director of the Advocacy Center. And today we have a great episode for you. But before we get to that, let's address the elephant in the room. What the heck is the Advocacy Center and why on earth is this guy doing a podcast? Well, all fair questions. You may be thinking, I thought the Advocacy Center was going to be a place, not a podcast. Well, you're right about that. And it's also under construction with completion date of around March 2022. The center itself is going to be very impressive. The building is going to be outfitted with seven courtrooms, two of which can be transformed into an 80-person classroom. All the courtrooms are going to have state-of-the-art audiovisual technology and also information technology. It's going to become home to courses that you've seen before, like BTAC and SATAC and so on. But think about it this way. If you're a court reporter, if you're a trial counsel, if you're a defense counsel, if you have any part in the play of trial litigation, this is going to be the place to be. So why the podcast? Fair question. Well, not everyone can be at the Advocacy Center all the time. And there are topics in the world of advocacy that can be communicated very well over mediums like this, like a podcast. So what's today's topic? Can you take a deposition via online video conferencing? Or are depositions still things you only do in person? How about mediation? To really get to the meat of the issue, Today, we're going to be sitting down with Miss Annette Perry from the U.S. Army Litigation Division. She has done tons and tons of depositions and mediations, and she's going to give us her insights into the differences between doing this stuff in person and doing this stuff in the virtual world. Before we go forward, it's probably obvious, but I'm just going to put it out there. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the people on the podcast and don't reflect the positions, policies, or views of the United States government or the United States Army writ large. So we have that out of the way. Here comes the show. Thank you for that. You really set the standard now, right? Hopefully we don't disappoint today. Pressure's on you now. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm just sitting here asking questions. Eh? <laughs> okay, let's see how this goes. It'll be fun. Well, okay then, let's... Uh... Let's start with some background. How about that? Okay. Well, I came to LitDiv in 2009 from the federal district courts in the Southern District of Georgia, where I clerked uh, for several judges, but I was primarily a uh, career law clerk um, for a trial judge. And what's your job now at USALSA? My job is to uh, practice employment law, uh, defense in federal district court, so that we can keep our our officers uh, out of the courtroom and on their mission. If you had to put a number on it or a range, just a general range, how many depositions do you think you you did before COVID? Oh, wow. Probably hundreds. Uh, you all, almost every case, you're going to at least depose the plaintiff. Before we get into the issue of depositions when it comes to the virtual environment, Let's talk about it in the classical environment. Let's talk about it as you've done it hundreds of times before. And we'll just back up. For the sake of talking about why you depose the plaintiff, why depose the plaintiff? What are you really after when you're doing that? 
we don't get the case until it's filed in federal court at the same time that the U.S. Attorney's Office gets it. So we don't have the background. We don't know the true story. All we know is the very brief synopsis that we get from the labor counselor who handled it out in the field. So it's really important that we depose, at the very least, the plaintiff so that we can, A, find out what their, what their real claims are and we can box them in on their answers, and B, so that we can find out what, they're good, what they would appear, how they would appear, and what they would say if we were to go to trial. Though, though we likely wouldn't go to trial as 99% of our cases are, are won on summary judgment or dispositive motion, motions to dismiss. So there are a couple components. You want to know what they're going to say, uh, but you're also judging demeanor. So there's, there is that, I guess, eye towards trial and how, how would this person possibly perform and what would they say? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's equally as key as how is the jury, because we have jury trials for most of our cases. And so how is the jury going to perceive this person? Before COVID, where would most depositions take place? A conference room very similar to this with a court reporter. I, I know you guys can't see where we're at, but it's a long table with lots of chairs around it. And so generally you'll have a court reporter on one end and the plaintiff and plaintiff's counsel and the deponent, because it could be different from the plaintiff on one side. And you have all the agency counsel and U.S. Attorney's Office on the other side. So it's a very formal environment with a lot of people and a lot of attorneys specifically, which can be kind of disconcerting for the poor person that's in the hot seat. <laughs> so, yeah, well, so you have someone who's recording, you have all these attorneys and the witnesses sitting there in a place that is not their living room, is <laughs> not a, necessarily a place they come to relax or is comforting to them. What's your experience been? Are, are witnesses uh, pretty nervous in that, in that circumstance? Absolutely. And I think some of that's intentional. Um, we generally, my practice is the opening questions ask very personal questions, right? Your date of birth. <laughs> How many children do you have? What are their names? Where do they live? What does your wife do? What is her last name? What is her maiden name? All of these are very personal questions which can set, you know, the, the plaintiff or, or whatever witness, you know, can can really set them off their game. And that's what you want. Um, and, and they're legitimate questions, for the record. Um, you would ask these kind of questions because if the case did go to trial, right, for jury selection, you want to make sure that, that we can identify any family members that could potentially be in the jury pool. Has that actually happened? Absolutely. Oh, wow. It's even more multifaceted. I mean, you're when thinking about trial and not just how they're going to be on, on a direct examination or during the cross-examination, but you're also thinking about voir dire and you're thinking about other parts of the trial as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's what the end goal is. We anticipate we're going to win on summary judgment. We generally do, um, especially in my practice, because in employment law, you've got this massive administrative record. And generally, if somebody did something wrong, it was resolved at the lowest level. And so it would never make it up to us. So I think we've established that the deposition is a pretrial tool that's very important when shaping your case going forward. 
Let's talk about the formal controls that you have in a deposition when it's actually in person. For example, when it's in person, don't you have more control over the witness? Absolutely, because their attorney can't provide assistance. Their attorney can't pass them notes. Any documents that they have in front of them, they have to provide it to us. So even like if they did a timeline, jotted a few things down to trigger their memory, I make have them make copies of it and give it to us immediately. So you can keep it and bring it in with you. But if you do, I'm going to see it. And our people, I tell them, don't bring it in. <laughs> no documents, nothing at all. Because I don't want the other side to know, you know, all of the wealth of information that you have. You know, answer the question that you're asked. Don't ask anything else. You know, is the sky or what color is the sky? The answer is blue. <laughs> it's not, it looks cloudy. It looks like it might rain. The answer is blue. <laughs> yes, no, and I don't know. And you can control that on your own, you know, in your own witness, you know, like you, most of the time, you can have sufficient client control that we can keep our witnesses in line. Uh, generally, on the other side, um, I let them talk. I, I, I ask the question. If it's something I need a yes or no, I always, yes or no. And then you can explain away <laughs> because that's really where we get the meat at. Um, and the yes or no is really because we're geared towards the summary judgment motion, right? I want you to clearly articulate that your supervisor did not make any derogatory comments regarding your race or your disability. So witness control is certainly one thing. Another thing that really comes up in a deposition is the handling of documents. Uh, this can include when you're going to show a witness a certain document. And in person, this is a little bit easier. But just generally speaking, you're using a lot of documents in a deposition, aren't you? You are. And you bring in a lot more documents than you'll necessarily use. Because, right, you don't know what the witness is going to say. So you have to be prepared. Either refresh their memory. You know, if they, if they say, I don't know, well, let me show you this document. You know, if, if they give you an answer that conflicts with the record that you have, then you want to be able to produce these documents. So it's, and it's, it's you know, like in trial, right? Uh, you have lots of things that you don't necessarily use, but you're prepared to use if you need to. And when you talk about passing documents, it's not just documents as exhibits to the witness. It's passing notes, right? If the, if the assistant U.S. attorney is the one actually taking the deposition, I have tons of notes. I have little sticky notes and I'm passing it to them <laughs> the entire time that they're asking questions because there's follow-ups and because they're not as familiar with the subject matter, the substantive side of it as I am. I have questions that I want them to ask in that line of questioning, it doesn't have the same effect if halfway through the deposition, we take a break and I say, I have, you know, five, six, seven questions. And some of them are relating to something you talked about the hour before, you know, that it just doesn't have the same weight. And so I take my little post-it notes and I put my questions on it and I discreetly put it on top of their notes. All right. So the last thing we have to talk about before we jump to virtual depositions is really that issue of nonverbal communication. Now in person, isn't there a lot of nonverbal communication and stuff that you're picking up at a deposition? 
Absolutely. Because you can see the areas that the witness is not uh, comfortable talking about from the, the foot tapping, the looking over at their attorney routinely, the, the hand shaking at the side of the chair. So let me ask you, when it comes to depositions, are you still doing a lot of depositions in person? We are not doing a lot of depositions in person. As a matter of fact, I think I've done one in-person deposition since February of 2020. So the pandemic hits and then all of a sudden you have to go to an online forum for the deposition. So I imagine that's using something along the lines of WebEx or Zoom or one of those online platforms, right? Exactly. And, and when we started, when we first started doing these, as we were working our way through these virtual depositions, everybody was somewhere different. The plaintiff was at their house. The attorney was at, you know, plaintiff's attorney was at, at, at in their office. The assistant U.S. attorney was at the U.S. attorney's office, and I was in my home office. So do you approach online depositions differently than you did depositions in person, or is it pretty much the same? My preparation is the same before we get into the deposition, except the exhibits can be challenging. In the current setting, the court reporter wants you to produce all documents in advance, but there's a lot of things we don't want to show the plaintiff. So we have to make a determination on what we're actually going to give them in advance and what we're not, which is another step of consideration before you go into your deposition. So, you're, so there's probably a lot more work in that regard on how you're going to move forward. And it can be challenging. We've had times where we wanted to show documents because the plaintiff said something different or the plaintiff didn't remember something. And we couldn't. We couldn't navigate the system to be able to show the exhibit in real time. And then the court reporter didn't have a hard copy of it. it, it it's just created a, a lot of third and second level effects that we didn't anticipate. Well, that makes sense. You change the environment a bit and all of a sudden things that were easy before, very intuitive before, are more difficult. So have the rules been a little more relaxed Have uh, or have the rules been just as stringent as before? There's been a lot more flexibility. In, in the traditional environment, you're absolutely right. You were supposed to have a hard copy. Remember where we mm -hmm. could put the little sticker on the corner <laughs> that says government's exhibit one, exhibit two, exhibit three. And so a lot of those traditional rules um, have, have been softened a great deal. But the practicality of how we're going to get it done and have an effective deposition is really where the rubbers met the road in what we can accept and what we can't accept in the deposition. Uh, can you imagine the court reporter isn't in the room with the witness? <laughs> They're swearing them in, right? They're yeah. taking an oath. Historically, they had to be in the room with the witness. I've done many a depositions where it was me and one of our people and the court reporter and plaintiff's attorney was somewhere else remotely because they couldn't come you know, to Washington, D.C., you know, where the witness now lives. You know, they couldn't come to Texas from Alabama. And so, but I was always where my witness was because the court reporter was always there. And now court reporters aren't required to be in the same place as the witness. Hmm. 
Uh, I mean, I can even imagine you have a trial partner who's at the deposition. If you're the one doing the questioning and you're both prepared and on the same page, they know based on your questions when you may need an exhibit next. And so when you're doing this via Zoom, do you have that flow or is that just where you're like, hey, hold on a second? And it, it takes away. It does take away. Absolutely. The flow is lost. The streamlining of your questioning is definitely gone in this new environment. And even communicating with that person sitting, you know, that traditionally sat next to you because now they're in another building, you know, you're not passing notes anymore. Well, so, so how do you do that? So it really depends on who I'm working with. In those jurisdictions I talked about where I work with the same assistant U.S. attorneys all the time. We actually have our cell phones and we're texting back and forth throughout the deposition. And so, but I have to stop to do it. It's not like a note. I I actually have to stop and and look over and see what they're saying. And that is how we've navigated around it. Some assistant U.S. attorneys don't like the idea that we're creating a record off the record with our communications that makes them very uncomfortable. Hmm. And and so in those cases, they don't want to text. I have some that want to email and that can be the biggest challenge, (laughs) (laughs) particularly if you're on the same computer, you know, taking the deposition and they want the little chat or the little scroll just between the two of you and the emails coming in all at the same time. So you're right. You're getting a lot of, break in the traditional streamline of a deposition. It doesn't mean it's insurmountable. You just have to find workarounds. And we've always had to find workarounds within the Army. These are just different ones. Some may say that Zoom is actually a more exhausting environment. Now, follow me here. You have your screen, you have a whole bunch of applications open, you have your phone, you have a whole bunch of things maybe behind you in the kitchen, there are things beeping. Zoom can be a very distracting environment for what's going on around you. And in that, you can feel a bit overtaxed and exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I I didn't I never really thought about it, but you're right. You're worried, right? Is the dog gonna bark? It's like the inopportune moment. Um and, and there was a time, right, where our kids were all home too. Hopefully now we're getting them all back in school. But at one point, right, who's going to control the six-year-old, right, if she's not going to get her cookie? You know, it's snack time. And so I was concerned about those things. And I was trying to try, I do try to track emails and text messages. And it can be overwhelming in the perspective that I'm not as focused on the questions as well as the answers. Because in depositions, as we both know, when you're taking a deposition, It's not just me asking a lot of questions. It's me taking that answer that I get from the witness and filtering out what's relevant and what's not relevant and any cues, both right visual as well as audio, the things they say and and their body language and determining whether or not we want to explore those questions further. And if you're worried about checking your text messages and the emails that are on the other screen, <laughs> right, the, the home distractions, it can be challenging. And I know 
for a fact that I am not as effective in taking my depositions in the virtual world as I am in person. And and you have to wonder when it comes to, to the people that you're questioning during a deposition, they may be texting. How do you guard against the off the record type stuff that's going on on the record when it comes to, are you getting a genuine response just from that witness? I mean, are there any controls that you actually have? That's what I was going to say is what control? <laughs> it's a concern. It's a legitimate concern that I'm always uncomfortable with. Um, I feel better when the plaintiff is in the room by themselves than when the plaintiff is at their attorney's office because you can't see the, their attorney. All you see, right, it's one camera and it's focused on the witness and you don't know anything that's being said or done in the rest of the room. Hmm. A- and I think that that compromises the in- integrity of of the testimony, but you can't control it. You know, as if the court reporter is not in the same room, right? If nobody is there to safeguard that integrity, then you don't know what's going on. Now, something I've always been wondering is, are people more lackadaisical when they're on camera on Zoom? I mean, you're finding the informality at depositions to be heightened these days because it is being done virtually? Absolutely. I I don't know if I necessarily see it with the deponents only because they don't know what the environment should look like when they go in. I think that they're much looser with their answers. But a place I've really seen it is when we have hearings. When you have to have a judge admonish counsel to wear a suit (laughs) and not a t-shirt to a status conference because it's virtual, right? They just pop right in like it's no big deal. And I've seen that um, with several judges where they've had to counsel the attorneys on appropriate attire for, for Zoom you know, status conferences. And it's oh, happening wow. a lot. Um, I don't know that I see it necessarily in the depositions, in the physical appearance, because depositions are traditionally a little less formal Um, Even if we are going into an office, an attorney might wear a tie and a sweater um, or a sweater dress and boots as Mm -hmm. opposed to a suit and jacket, either male or female, that you would traditionally see in a courtroom. And so it's not exactly, um, it's, it's not as formal as a courtroom, but, you know, to have an attorney show up for a a status conference before a federal district court judge, you know, in a t-shirt, it to me is mind blowing, (laughs) but it's happened a lot, right? I mean, a lot of our expectations have been shattered. Have you found witnesses to be more combative? Emboldened. Emboldened. I think so. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of a recent deposition um, that I took The assistant U.S. attorney and I were in the U.S. attorney's office sitting side by side. Um, That's the only way we can work around being able to pass those notes, right? Mm -hmm. And um, we weren't getting, the plaintiff was terribly unresponsive. And you didn't have, I could tell the U.S. attorney didn't have the same control as she would have had had we been in a real environment to reel him in 
and remind him what we were there to do. You know, the, the telling opposing counsel, you know, that this is unresponsive, ask the witness again. You know, it didn't have that same power that it has when you're both sitting in the same room in a table across from each other. And that's lost. And because their attorneys aren't in the same room, their attorneys don't even have the same client control that they would historically have. The virtual environment is rife with just technical glitches and mistakes. And sometimes people don't mute when they should mute. So are, are you super vigilant as to when, when you go on breaks, making sure that, that you don't hear any privileged or confidential information? I am. I've gotten in the habit where I tell the other side, make sure you mute your system. And sometimes, the, you know, because the plaintiff's not, the, the witness isn't in the same room as their attorney so they might not know what to do to be able to, to, you know, cut off their mic. And so I'm constantly reminding them, you've got a hot mic. And, and reminding, you know, you know, my colleagues, don't forget we're on a hot mic here. You know, <laughs> let, let's leave the room. That's the best way to handle this. Ever have any concerns in the beginning about breakout rooms and stuff? I did when I first started. I had a lot of concerns about some things I've, didn't want to discuss even in a breakout room. Uh, we've done it enough now. Mediations are something that really lends itself to this new virtual environment, definitely more so than a deposition does. So how do you overcome this? You have to trust the system, right? It's no different. The mediator is no different than a judge, right? We have to trust a judge to always do the right thing, and that's how our judicial system works. And with the mediator, it's the same thing is you have to trust that they're keeping you separate and you can have open, uh, confidential dialogue within your teammates and your group, even separate from the mediator, because, of course, you're not telling them everything. We talked about nonverbal cues. What are you looking at now that you don't have really anything other than their than their head? <laughs> like, what do you what do you focus on? I, I, their face, actually. What do I focus on? Sometimes it's the distracting background that they put. You don't even really know where they are anymore, right? <laughs> well, yeah, because they, they can do that masking background where it's smart enough that it makes it seem like they're in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, but you can tell the edges around their head or around their shoulders is like the AI that's controlling or whatever the program is doesn't have it exactly right. So, you know, it's not a real background. Um, but, but then you have people who just don't care, right? Exactly. I was going to say you have the, you have the Golden Gate Bridge, but then you also have offices, right? Where they have the virtual office behind them. And you go from that to the other extreme is the people that have the bookcase with everything falling off or the, or the kitchen counter where breakfast is still laid out on it. And sometimes I have to admit, sometimes it's a challenge not to focus on all the distractions that are behind the witness when I'm questioning them, at least at the beginning, right? Once you get into the questioning and you kind of get your groove, you know, then those other things melt away. But if you're in a lull, then, then I find myself kind of wandering to all these things that are behind. <laughs> and Lord knows if there's a person behind them or if there's a person in the room that you can see the shadows of them moving as well, then, then it's even more distracting when you're trying to take a deposition. It could be so many things. It can be what's moving in the room. It could be uh, how unkempt the room is. But it could also be that the person maybe is not very tech savvy or the audio is just 
terrible. I mean, there's so many small distractions that would not be an issue in person uh, because the environment's different. Absolutely. And we recently, uh, we were taking a deposition out at Corpus Christi at the Army Depot, and the sound quality was so bad, we literally had to stop the deposition and move to another location because the sound was so bad. There was no way we could get through it. And and that happens frequently, right, where you're allowed seven hours on the record uh, in a deposition. And seven hours sounds like a really long time. But when you're spending extended periods of time trying to deal with both the plaintiffs, you know, the witnesses um, with their technology issues remotely because nobody's with them to help Mm -hmm. or your own, it, it can really suck up more of your time. Who generally is responsible for getting the witness online in the right spot at the right time? And how does this work? Generally, either the night before or the morning of the deposition, the court reporter sends out a link. Either WebEx, which seems to be a DOJ's preferred platform, mm-hmm. or Zoom. I mean, with Zoom government, it's, it's really taken on a new life of its own. And so you get this link and... You know, five minutes before the deposition starts, uh, you see people pop in. And sometimes they don't. And, and it's plaintiff's attorney that has to be the one, you know, who, who's trying to remotely address the, the technical issues that the witness may have. And, you know, it's, it's, I always say plaintiff. <laughs> That's really not fair <laughs> because I would be lying if I said that our own witnesses, we, didn't, we haven't never had any issues. What else have you noticed? Nobody is available an hour before. I think that's another thing that I've noticed is that people have a very different concept of time when they're sitting in their own home Mm. as opposed to when they had to get in a car and drive to an office space somewhere for a deposition. They're much looser with both their time and ours. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of time though, I mean, the upside has to be, you're not traveling necessarily to an airport all the time. Uh, you're not, you're not driving as much. Uh, you as the, as the attorney are saving time somewhere in the virtual process. I think in most cases you're right. Right. My commute from, from my bedroom <laughs> to my home office is much shorter than my commute from Tyson's Tyson's Corner to Fort Belvoir was. (laughs) (laughs) You've actually braved the telework thing for for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, I I started teleworking in 2013. So a lot of the issues that we had, I had already dealt with the workaround so we could still get our job done. And so when we came online where everybody was teleworking, I was comfortable in that environment. And I also had the added advantage of when I was learning to telework, we didn't have the technology and we certainly didn't have the leadership support at the idea Mm. of teleworking. How about mediation? We've done a lot of mediation. Courts rely on it, you know, at the trial level, uh, after the summary judgment motion, before we actually do our pretrial conference. A, A lot of jurisdictions now require you to uh, participate in mediation or at least make a mediation statement on what your position is on mediation. Um, if the, if, even if you win on summary judgment and the case goes up on appeal, almost 
every circuit requires immediate uh, mediation before even before the appellant briefs have to be filed. They want you to mediate. And so historically, right, we all went to a mediator's office and they had two little rooms <laughs> separate in a big conference room. And we would start out all in the conference room together, realizing that each of, you know, all of us are people. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing. And it would give the, the plaintiff an opportunity um, to, you know, to, to vent, which is right what trial is supposed to do. Yes. A lot <laughs> yeah. of judges think, right, like just let them have their day in court. Well, a mediation provides that opportunity and they see they have all of our attention. Um, in a lot of ways, what we talked about, right, the, the formalized nature of it, you know, like the depositions, you know, we were all in this room, we were all dressed up and all the lawyers were listening to the plaintiff and then they would break us off into separate rooms that you could be comfortable because you know nobody else is in the room. Though I guess technically they could have been wired, <laughs> right? Again, we have to trust the system. A little conspiratorial there, for sure. sure. Yeah, we, ha we have to trust the system. And that's, I think, what the basis of all of this is, is for it to work, is we have to trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, 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 the mediator goes back and forth between the parties and slow, slowly gets everybody closer together. And then at the end, um, generally... Whether we were able to settle the case or not, the mediator would call us all in the room together and, and discuss the fact that it didn't have to, even though we weren't successful on that day, it didn't have to stop there, you know, mm -hmm. that we could still have the open dialogues. I believe in this new environment, it's taken some getting used to. Like I said, initially, I was really uncomfortable in those breakout rooms about who was hearing what. Mm -hmm. But once I got confident and comfortable in the system, I think it's worked really well. So in the virtual realm, how is mediation different than depositions? We don't need to be in, you know, in the same place. We're not passing back and forth documents. We're not passing back and forth notes. You know, we're, we're having the actual conversations. But you also lose something. Traditionally, during mediation, there's long periods, right, of it's just you and the assistant U.S. attorney discussing, you know, our positions or other cases, working on that team building yep. when you're in this space and stopped. And also when the mediator comes in, right, you have an opportunity to discuss the weaknesses that he sees, the strengths that he sees. You can color it, right? You can add more dialogue. You have more time to do those things when you're in person. And also you see more opportunity because you see his language mm. or her language. <laughs> so you see the mediator's position, you see their posture, you, you see all these, all this body language, these cues on the comfort level to discuss things, asking their opinion, you know, where do they think we should be? We've lost that in this new environment. You don't see all those cues because just like a witness in a deposition, all you see of the mediator is the head up. But on the same token, it also sounds like you don't need to travel to be able to have that mediation, especially where you believe the government's position is never going to lend itself to that. So it may just be a wasted trip for the sake of, of satisfying what the court is asking. Exactly. And most of the time, it is a wasted trip. We very seldom have sufficient authorization 
to get any meaningful settlement conversation because we make our assessment before we go and we get our authorization for that amount only. You know, and and the person who is asking five hundred thousand dollars is not going to take the five thousand dollars that you brought with you. Do you miss some of the travel? I do miss the travel. I miss the interaction with the assistant U.S. attorneys that I historically had, um, where we did where we did things outside of the work. You know, where we got to know each other, where we their families. Right, I would go to dinner with their families if I was in town for five days. And so because it's those relationships that give us the control in our work every day. And so those those relationships, just like with our colleagues in our office, it's really important. And we lose that when we don't go, you know, out to the jurisdictions and see the people. And equally, when you're there, traditionally, we go see our labor counselors, right? We go to the legal offices at these installations. So what's the key to success? I think the key to successful depositions in a virtual platform is preparation. And if you do that on the front end, and a lot of patience, you're going to get through this and you're, and you'll become proficient. The more you do it, don't hide from it because it, this is here to stay. I, I think leadership has recognized that this is in a lot of environments, a very effective way, right? Less office space, just a, a really effective way for us um, to take depositions and to work across the board. And, and the more we do it, the more proficient you'll become. Don't be hard on yourself. What is your perception of what the federal courts think about Zoom and hearings via Zoom? And are they embracing it or are they still waiting things out? I think it depends on the judge. I think those judges that were already technology savvy or at least embraced it, I mean, I think that they are all in. We're doing a lot of hearings, you know, a lot of status conferences, summary judgment motion, oral arguments. Traditionally, we wouldn't have a summary judgment oral argument. And now because it's in a virtual environment, the courts are inviting them. Well, with that, I think it's time. Thank you very much, Miss Barry. Thanks for tuning in this week. Again, my name is Major Matthew Forst, and I'm your host. We will see you next time on Matt Talks. Take care. We come to play a little Kenny G, a little Miles D, a little Sade. I get busy when I listen to Dizzy and relax when I hear Coltrane on sax. In fact, I feel my loneliness with keys from Thelonious. Monk anytime, day or night, week or month. So don't try to front like it's something you don't want. It's jazz music, y'all. Yeah. It's jazz music.